Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening, I'm Beverly Callender Anderson, and welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning program celebrating over 11 years as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting African Americans. Good evening, I'm Leela Randall, and in today's broadcast, you'll also hear our perspective on what's relevant in the African American world of news and local events of interest, all in the next hour on Bring It On. But first, an urban radio pioneer, this Chicago native was a voice of the community, a father, a friend, and a living history lesson. Herb Kent passed away on Saturday, October 22nd at the age of 88. Derek Brown, director of urban programming at iHeartMedia, said of him that he was an iconic talent who for nearly 70 years entertained millions of listeners in Chicagoland and around the world. And I was one of those listeners. Uh, To many current and former Chicagoans, Herbert Kent was the cool gent, the king of the Dusties, the honorary mayor of Bronzeville, Herbie Baby, and much, much more. As one of the most important figures in Chicago radio history, Herb Kent opened up many doors for African Americans. Simply put, Herb Kent is a Chicago treasure. To help us pay tribute to this pioneering legend, we have invited Gary Radio producer and personality Dinah Lynn Biggs to share her memories of Herb Kent. On October 9th, she went head-to-head with Mr. Kent in an old-school record battle of the DJs billed as Gary versus Chicago. I don't know, that should not have even been a contest. But anyway, (laughs) she readily admits that she won. She joins us now by phone. Ms. Biggs, welcome to Bring It On. Hey, how you guys doing? Uh, we're good. How are you? Man, I'm just trying to make a dollar out of 15 cents. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> well, <When> we're <laughs> so glad to have you with us this evening. I, um, I am a Chicagoan and, and grew up listening to Herb Kent all of my childhood. Um, I think we're introducing Herb to my co-host, Leela, for the first time tonight, but... Um, yeah, it was it was one of those when I heard that he had passed away, I knew he was 88 years old and I knew, you know, you know that that's going to happen eventually, but I think Herb Kenton was one of those people we thought would always be with us. That's right. He was he was one of the ones that you just it just never dawned on you and it and he broadcast till the day he died. Yes, he did. Yes, so he did. You still didn't get a chance to even think about it. Yeah, that's true, and 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 went out the way the way he would have wanted to, you know, on still on top. Um, even when I travel back to visit family in Chicago, I was always listening to the Battle of the Dusties or the the Battle of the Bands is what I guess it was called on Sunday afternoons when I would drive back. So, um, can you just tell us some of your memories of of the Cool Gent? Well, well, well. My my most recent memory was when I was invited to participate in the Battle of the Bands, and they dubbed it Gary versus Chicago. 
which is ironic. It was the first time uh, someone from Indiana had a chance to battle her. Mm. And for me, uh, being in radio, and I was actually his intern uh, when he worked in Gary at WGARY, which was known as WWCA. Uh, I was his intern back in the day under Vivian Carter with VJ Records, uh, which in itself is a lot of musical history in that, that sentence alone. But to be invited back uh, so many years later uh, to battle her, it, it was just—it was just amazing for me. Um, and uh, the Gary community embraced the whole idea because everybody loves her. Oh yeah, yeah. A musical fun contest, uh, shall I say? And uh, you know, of course, of course, her winning on me as soon as I got there. <laughs> a crying little girl, you know. Uh, he had the marvelous, and I had the stylistics. And uh, we talked about music with both groups that we both grew up with and have interviewed over the years. And just to sit there and play around with him, you know, uh, a week or so before he passed was just, for me, phenomenal going full circle from an intern to having spent that time with him. Yes. Um, for for those people who don't understand the the Herb Kent legacy, or maybe maybe have never, some of our listeners may have never heard of him. Um, Herb Kent was was one of those people that gave a lot of people their starts, the the dramatics and you well you talked about the stylist, but I mean just when when black artists weren't able to get played. Um, do you have any insight about about that? Well, you know. Um, back in the day, you know, Herb started as, as as early as five years old wanting to be a radio personality. And back in the 40s, you know, his white professors told him he would never amount to anything. Mm. That, you know, he had the best voice in class, but you would never make it in radio because of the stereotype of being what was called a Negro at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, this didn't deter him being a, a poor kid from the Chicago Housing Project who decided that's what he was going to do, just because they said he couldn't. Um, but in saying that, he was one of the only black vocal points for a lot of groups, the stylistics, the dramatics, mm-hmm. the impressions with Curtis Mayfield. They all single-handedly have stated over the years that without her uh, taking a chance and playing some of their music, which we love today, which is, you know, legendary songs, they would have never got a break, never got invited to the Soul Train or to any of the other musical shows if her wouldn't took a chance and, and played their record. So having someone at the top that, that would take that chance. You know, some, some, some people don't like to step outside the box, but her was one of the ones who was like, well, let's take a listen to it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all you need sometimes is that, just that chance. So he gave people a voice. He gave them options. Yeah, he really did. Yeah, I think I think about the Shy Lights too. I mean, that was that was another group. I think he really gave their his their start. Oh yeah, he yeah uh, the Shy Lights. Marshall Thompson uh, from the Shy Lights is is uh, one of the last men standing in that legendary group out of Chicago. And you know, him and her were thick as thieves. They still had dinner together every week up mm. until the time he passed. Yeah, um, with with so many decades of music. Um, it's just awesome now with the radio personalities across the country. I often say that we don't know the power we have hmm. with the microphone and the music. Mm-hmm. They know the you know people's careers are are basically in the hands of the radio personalities and the DJs. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I I think about and especially back when when he was at his 
at his prime, you know, WVOM was really the station in Chicago that African-Americans listen to. And so it's not only where we got our music, it's where we got our news, it's where we got our entertainment, you know, pretty much. I mean, we didn't watch as much television. I don't want to tell everybody listening my age, but, um, you know, there really wasn't quite as much television. But I'm, I'm sitting, one of the things I have in front of me is his autobiography. And I'm looking, and he's and he's has pictures with James Brown and yeah. and 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 I don't know, just a lot of people, but the Harlem Globetrotters and the oh, Shylights, yeah. and then and then he has pictures with R. Kelly. You know, I mean, so he his uh, career spanned such a such a broad spectrum. Yeah. So many decades, he has touched musically uh, with his music. I mean, even the the latest. Uh, Hip hop and 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 steppers music uh, when they wouldn't come to town unless they went to see her King. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And oftentimes people spoke of the Battle of the Bands. People set their clock by that show, <laughs> the Battle of the Bands on Sundays, just to see who Herc was going to have. Who, in most instances, he would pick the phone up and call them. Mm. He was like, "Okay, you got the OJs. Okay, let me call the OJs." <laughs> Are you kidding, man? How you just call the artist up? Yeah. And that one-on-one with people for over six or seven decades. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And he was irresistible, too. He was known for his clothes. He used to have a a convertible Cadillac, red (laughs) and white, that he used to ride around in town town with. I mean, he dressed to the nines, and and he he was just, you know, an everyday person trying to make a difference. He often uh, told me that... Uh, he was just a kid with a microphone and a crate of records trying to make a difference. Mm. And he did. And and he really, really did. Um, so you said you interned for him. Were, were you in high school or college when you interned for him? I was in college. In college. Uh, at Indiana University Northwest. Oh, Okay. So what what was that like? What what was it like? I mean, so was I don't know how, where he was in his career at that time, but I mean, did you? understand the legendary nature of of um, Herb Ken at that point? No, because uh, at WWCA under Vivian Carter, that was his very, very first job in radio. His very first job. Mm. And uh, it was WGARY at that time. So um, Vivian Carter and VJ Records being the first black record label, a lot of people didn't even realize the impact of that at that particular time. But in working there, um, the history, you know, she discovered the Beatles, and her was one of the first ones to ever play a Beatles record. Hmm. Back back in the day, I'm in college, I'm like, I want to be like this when I grew up. And, you know, he was young and fine and talking fast <laughs> and, and all, all that good stuff. is just I would have never in a million years have thought that I would still be in the same career over 35 years myself, mm-hmm. and having worked with those kinds of people, uh, being in Indiana, it's just, just across the street from Chicago. And so Chicago's music, pretty much everybody came through Chicago, went by Gary, and, and went on you know, to other cities, but they never came in the Midwest without coming through Chicago. Like you said, VON was legendary and breaking mm-hmm. hits. Groups like Cameo, the Barquets, uh, back then, you know, they came to Chicago to get those records broke for the first time. Even Curtis Mayfield, uh, being one of the black-owned record companies, he owned his own label back in the day, you know, Kurt Tom Records. You know, they worked closely with uh, 
Herb Kent, and Herb Kent helped Curtain Records establish that avenue for black rock and roll yeah. down in Chicago. All through Herb Kent. We're talking six, seven, eight decades of just back-to-back music. So when he got inducted into the Hall of Fame in August, I mean, it was like a holiday in Chicago. <laughs> it yeah, was a that. holiday, and Herb was just so so calm and so cool about it. He said, you got, I got to put on a tux, <laughs> you know, to yeah. go. He was like, yeah, Herb, you got to put on a tux. So, I mean, Jimi Hendrix, all genres of music. It was just not the R&B. It was, you know, the, the Smokies and the Prince and the Supreme. And being at Chicago State University uh, as a professor, as a professor of broadcasting, yeah. Oh yeah, I that and that was one piece that I didn't know um was that he had taught at Chicago State and when I found that out after his death, I mean, it made sense, but it was just something I didn't know. Do you know how many interns across the country that are interns that heard Kent talk broadcasting at Chicago mm-hmm. State? It's absolutely amazing how many people that this man has touched through his career, his intern, when we went for the Battle of the Band, was a young kid there. You know, he kept calling him Mr. Kent, Mr. Kent. <laughs> and then he's like, I told you you can call me Herb. He said, no, you was my professor. I, I, that's what I met you as, Mr. Kent, the professor. And, and the kid was like, yeah, I learned everything I learned from, from her. So was his format, because I'm not familiar with him, was his format to bring new artists and, and and out to the world to uh, you know ha- this was his this was their avenue or what was his what was his format like? His format was originally um, back in the day. His format was to break these artists, which we know as legendary artists at this time. But back in the day, he was like got new music, you know, and then he would always play the dusties. But he would bring you the new music that we now know as legendary music. If it wasn't for her playing it for the first time out of the Chicago market, we would have never known about the stylistics. Because if you read the stylistics story, you'll hear them say how many times they got turned out by radio stations who didn't want to play African-American music, you know, from from the late 50s and in the early 60s. They didn't want to play the music. So her was one of the only stations there. So everybody traveled, piled up in their car, and came, slept in their car to get their music played in Chicago. Yeah. Well, and you really can't talk about Herb Kent, I don't think, without talking about the Wahoo Man. <laughs> I, I can remember, I, I remember telling the story to our producer, Clarence, that I was very young at the time when the Wahoo Man story came out. And, and for those who don't know, Herb just had this, this story, he had this storytelling thing going and he told the story about the Wahoo Man and it was a composite of some characters that he had actually met and a sound that he heard on his car um, mm-hmm. that, that he said oh that you know that, that dude is acting like the Wahoo Man or, or ought to be called the Wahoo Man or something like that but he had every child in the city of Chicago scared to death to be alone because he carried the story day after day after day and there was always a new iteration of the Wahoo Man and it was sort of like just the story he was telling in a in a Boris Karloff or or Vincent Price kind of mode and and I guess according to the autobiography mothers were calling the station complaining that he was scaring kids and and he was like I don't care you know because right. because people were tuning in and they were listening because they wanted to know what that next what what the next thing the Wahoo Man was going to do and I truly I remember being afraid to go to the bathroom 
in my house because I knew the Wahoo man was going to come through the window. Right, the Wahoo man. <laughs> absolutely right. It's like a legend in Chicago. Everybody knows about, about the Wahoo man. Herb was one that was instrumental in creating images. Um, that stuck with people across the country. It got into their households and in their souls. He created stories where, through his music, he was able to further spearhead others' career. You know, when black music exploded back in the 70s, Herb Kent actually was one of the ones that, that got on radio and talked about it. Mm-hmm. He talked about the drugs and the gangs, and he talked about his position with them, and he'll tell you, he's, I did everything I was big enough to do. Yeah. You know, but nobody ever messed with her. He was like a neutral territory. Everybody. <laughs> you go anywhere. DJ at a party and into Brittany Greens or go downtown Chicago with the higher ups and nobody would ever mess with her because he just he kept it real. That he, term is so yeah. underrated. Keeping it real is what, what Herb did, you know, with his music, with his personality, because he knew he had a voice that people listened to. It resonated into their household. When I was on his show, people were calling up 88 years old, 66, 56, 46, 30. I mean, it was so many different. My head was spinning (laughs) because everybody was tuned in. Yeah, yeah. What do you think, how do you think he felt about the change in music today and how it was like 50 years ago? Did he ever talk about that? I had a chance to interview him about five years ago at the Harold Washington Cultural Center uh, he was hosting an event uh, with the Shy Lights and Carl Carlton, the guy that made Bam Mama Jamma. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I said, hey, Herb, you know, I want to interview you real quick. You know, we had the cameras rolling and all this. And I said, hey, Herb, uh, how do you feel about today's music? And he looked at me, and, and he didn't say anything. And I said, he said, what do you mean, finally? I said, how do you feel about, remember when you had to be within so many feet to listen to a radio station? Remember that? You had to live in a neighborhood because the radio station frequency would go out if you drove too far away from the station. And now they can hear you all over the world. He said, you know, it's kind of scary. He felt like since it had changed and he can be in Chicago and his friends can listen to him in Mississippi, he said at first he couldn't get used to the idea. People telling him, oh, I'm in Atlanta, but I heard you. But he said that's just something he could never even wrap his head around because, you know, we were so into the frequency and the reach of the station at the time that, you know, he was like, I, I just I just don't know. He said, I guess I'm so cool, I'm frozen my clothes <laughs> all over the world. <laughs> all over the world. For those of you just tuning in, we are talking with Dinah Lynn Biggs, who is a personal friend of legendary radio personality Herbert Rogers Kent, who passed away this past October in Chicago. Um, Ms. Biggs, I want to ask you about radio itself. I mean, radio was very important um, when when Herb Kent was at his prime when I was young and when you started out. I mean, radio was, was very important and it was very local. Uh, just like you say, you had to be within so many miles of the radio station to hear it. But how how do you see that things have changed with the onset of streaming and satellite radio and um, all the different options that we have now? I think that um, radio has made it so in real time to people that they're able to reach out and touch what you're doing instantly from anywhere in the world. Um, it's ironic. I'm, I'm out of a station in Gary, Indiana, and, um, you know, AM station, people 
consider AM stations now. You know, AM, FM is the big thing. But when you're streaming music, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You can't tell if you're AM or FM. Um, my show, the Dino Man Big Show, is just about to break 200,000 viewers and listeners, which would be unheard of for AM station. But when you stream, it puts everybody in the same pot. Yeah. AM, FM, you're, the, you're just the same. And with cars coming out in 2017, they don't even have radios. <laughs> they have apps. That's um, true. Yeah, I mean, it's something to think about. It, it's just the new wave. It's like you can be, I take my show on the road to different cities every month. We go to different cities. I go to L.A. and people are like all over me. And I'm out of Gary, Indiana. That, that says a lot for how you can reach somebody somewhere else and have never been in that area. Mm. Well, one of the things I remember about Herb Kent, and one of the things that I think made him, I mean, besides the fact that I just grew up with him, but made him so special to me is that when I was attending high school, he would come out, so he was on the radio, but he would come out and play uh, sock hops or dances that we had at the school. And And so we got a chance to actually see the face that went with that voice that we have been hearing it, and it uh, seems like with with satellite and with some of the other, you don't get that same kind of local personality, somebody that really knows the community uh, and is invested in the community as well. Yeah, that's that's the only thing. That's the only drawback with the, the streaming uh, portion of how radio is going is that you can't really put, but social media will put a face to it. Mm. Um, Social media, a lot of the radio stations, uh, when, the, when, the, when the personalities come on, they post the pictures, uh, where they at, what are they doing. And it gives people who have left the community, uh, like Chicago, and they've moved to Texas, it gives them the connection to their hometown. Yeah. You know, they can sit and listen to Chicago, whether, well, my mama still lives there. That's what people call me and say, well, my mama still lives in Gary. <laughs> <laughs> my mama on Massachusetts. I'm like, really? <laughs> But it gives you that connection. So some people, uh, uh, my show even uh, streams in Saudi Arabia, the military barracks on mm. Saturday night. It's their music. Yeah. It's their only touch of home. So streaming has, you know, so many ups and downs and variables. I guess in the next decade, we'll get it all figured out. Yeah, I hope so. What do you think um, Mr. Kent's legacy is now that he's passed away? His legacy is that anybody could be anything they want to be. He often talked about being that poor kid from the housing project and how he made his first microphone out of scraps at his house and how he continued, even when times got hard. He had some hard times. You know, he had cancer. He's battled over the years. He's had, uh, you know, bankruptcy, things, everything everybody else has. You know, he's had to deal with all of those, but it, he said what kept him going was his connection to the people was his ability to get out when he had a bad day and he had a show to do or a DJ, a set, or something. That, that helped him to overcome a lot of his problems. So through music, his legacy is that you can continue to strive despite all the obstacles that life will bring you. As long as you keep living, you're going to get the obstacles. But have that one thing in your life that makes a difference. And he truly did what he loved, and and I think that showed, and, and sort of tying this back to the streaming piece, they streamed his funeral live. I, I don't know if you were there, if you saw it, but in Indiana, in, in Bloomington, Indiana, I was able to um, feel like I was present 
And and I know many of us that went to high school together, we were on Facebook talking about it and and watched from beginning to end and it and it was a good three hours, I think. Well yeah. Um, but it was yeah. powerful. It was powerful that a young black man with a voice for over six decades could have a funeral like that. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the impact of that alone, you know, they are have already said that that funeral will be used as a pilot in some political science and some broadcasting classes. Wow. Uh, because it was more than just a funeral. Mm-hmm. It was a statement of his life. Yeah. It was a statement of his entire life. Well, I, I was kept... on my way there, and I got a call that I couldn't even get close. Hmm. Do it. It was so many people there uh, at the time. Yeah. I kept thinking it was a historical record, too, because the people that showed up for him um, that I mean, and, and, and not just I don't I don't think it was just stargazing. It wasn't. I mean, there were people that that loved him that showed up because he like you said, he had really touched them and touched their lives and made a difference in their lives and it, whether it was as a an artist or as a student or you know a student that had been an intern or um, you know a student like myself who he just came out and played for I mean but he really touched people's lives and and even through the hard times you know he he persevered and he kept going and at 88 was still doing what he did you know so um, he had as many jokes when I was in the studio with him two weeks before he passed as he had the first day I met him. <laughs> he had jokes, and, you know, a lot of people don't realize by him being inducted into the Radio Hall of Fame, he is the only African-American. People don't, they miss that part. They're mm-hmm. like, oh, he got inducted into the Museum of Broadcasting Radio Hall of Fame. Like it was just, oh, well, he's the only black. African-American person ever inducted. You know, that's something we need to, uh, you know, share with the young people, oh, or have yeah. a conversation. Absolutely, most certainly when my grandkids go for show-and-tell day, we might be holding up some Herb Kent posters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that, I mean, and people need to know who he is. I think of so many people that, you know, are in radio today or, or even trying to get into radio or into broadcasting in some way that don't know his story and and his story needs to be told and um and they they need to know they need to know i see a movie um in the in the in the forecast for her Kent, the her or unsung or something along those uh, oh, yeah. something along those lines you know oftentimes uh james brown often said that if it wasn't for her Kent, he would have never lived as long as he lived wow to go and visit james brown in jail Every mm-hmm. time he got into trouble, he would go there and he would see him and he would talk with him yeah. and encourage him. And, um, you know, that's just was the kind of guy. How many DJs do that? Yeah. How many DJs care if somebody goes to jail and go and visit him? Yeah. I mean, but that's how personal he was with the movement of music, especially if the music was during a time where it made an impact, such as James Brown. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't very many other people like James Brown at the time. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's part of his legacy, too. Leela asked earlier, what was his legacy? And, and it was about the music, but it was also about the community that he built. And it wasn't just community Chicago, but just that that community of, of artists, that community of 
uh, in Chicago because he did care about the community and he always gave back and he always did his Muenoink commercials and um, I mean you know so so it was a lot that he that he did for the city um, um, but I, but I do think part of part of his legacy is how much he cared and how much he cared about people. Mm-hmm. He was a different kind of a DJ, shall I say? Uh, he was an innovator. He mm-hmm. was a he was a musical encyclopedia. It was nobody you could name that he couldn't tell you all about it. That's what made this show so special. That's what made it special when he said, "Okay, here's music from the Ohio players." You know, that's what most people would say. He said, "Well, yeah, you know, the lead singer of the Ohio players, we went here and we did this." <laughs> yeah, so personal stories that you felt like you knew them. Right. Oh, for sure, for sure. We've we've got about thirty seconds to go, but I want to just give you this one last opportunity. If there's anything else that you think our listeners need to hear, I. I could t- probably talk about my own personal stories of Herb Ken all day, but I mean, just some things that we want to leave with the listeners today to to remember uh, Herb Kent, the cool gent, um, this evening. Well, I would like to to leave with you, share with your children, send them to YouTube, Google Herb Ken, have a conversation, let them know this is something that they could be, something that they can do. We don't have to let the legacy die here. Well, thank you so much, and thank you for being with us. Okay. You guys have a good evening. Thank you. You too. Okay. We, bye-bye. We want to thank Gary, radio producer and personality, Dinah Lynn Biggs, host of the syndicated Dinah Lynn Biggs Show, for joining us to share her memories of the late, iconic radio personality, Mr. Herb Kent. Here comes the cool gent. <laughs> Goes 
You just heard Cool Gent by Earl Washington. This song was used for decades to introduce Mr. Herb Kent, the Cool Gent, the Chicago radio legend. His appeal and impact reached across the nation, and his famous quote was, I'm so cool, I froze in my clothes. He will <laughs> Every be time missed. you say that, I, keep, I just laugh. Yeah. Oh, I can't believe he said that. Yeah, he said that, <laughs> among other things. <laughs> okay, Bring It On has an open submission policy, so if you have an idea for the program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, once again, is bringiton at wfhb.org. Support for WFHB comes from the Uptown Cafe, a Bloomington landmark since 1976, serving Cajun Creole and home cooking specials every Tuesday and Wednesday evening, featuring a full bar serving fresh handcrafted cocktails. The Uptown Cafe is located in downtown Bloomington. More information is available online at the-uptown.com. Support for WFHB also comes from Bloom Magazine. Saturday, December 10th is Take a Picture Day in Monroe County. You may submit your photos to Bloom Magazine by December 20th. Winning pictures will appear in Bloom's February issue. More information is available at magbloom.com. There's no way 
you just heard the 70s classic, I'll Be Around by the Spinners. This is Bring It On, the People's Forum for Black Culture in South Central Indiana and beyond. Are you a tweeter? You're invited to follow the WFHB News Twitter account. This is a great way to get breaking news and updates on what's going on behind the scenes and on the air with WFHB News. Go to Twitter.com and search for WFHB News. Or you can always visit WFHB's news website at WFHB.org news. Bring It On is Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community. Here on WFHB 91.3 FM and live on the web at WFHB.org. It's time now to give you the latest perspective on the people, news, and issues affecting the black community. For Bring It On, I'm Leela Randall. And I'm Beverly Callender Anderson. I'm just going to start with Beth. Well, first up, we've got uh, a report from The Root that says the Green Party presidential candidate Jill Stein's efforts to recount the vote in states Donald Trump closely won continued this weekend after a brief stutter step when Stein said she ended but then resumed her efforts to push a recount in Pennsylvania. Stein's actions have been called many things. The current president-elect calls them a scam, but are they also up? Oh, he put a big word in here. Obfuscation of the real issue. Is this really about voter suppression? We certainly didn't make it easier for anyone to vote. We need to open up the political process and let everybody come in, said Representative John Lewis of Georgia. The root in response to the question of whether the election was stolen by suppression. So that was his response to the root's question. Representative Terry Sewell, who represents Selma, Alabama, also spoke to the root. If one person was turned away because of voter ID, it threatens the whole integrity of the process, Sewell responded. According to many experts who watch elections, the real controversy of 2016 is not the recount, but the hundreds of thousands of votes that were never cast in the first place due to widespread voter suppression. Highlighting this issue, the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law, Common Cause, and State Voices held a two-day conference the first two days of December titled 2016 Election Protection Post-Election Convening. The Lawyers Committee also released a report titled Striving to Hashtag Protect Our Vote in 2016, a snapshot of Election Protection 2016. Did voter, impact, did voter suppression have an impact? Absolutely, voter suppression had an impact, said writer Ari Berman, who is author of Give Us the Ballot. Berman spoke at the overcrowded conference. Look at Wisconsin. Trump won Wisconsin by 22,000 votes, but 300,000 registered voters did not have strict forms of voter ID. Clearly, it had an impact. But even if voter suppression had no impact on the election, the fact that one party made it deliberately harder to vote was a huge national scandal, said Berman. Within the pages of the Lawyers Committee's 30-page report on voting were details of the impact of new, new voter ID laws and the gutting of Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act of 1965. I think I heard a little something about yeah. that. So, so what her recount isn't going to count what was already. It's just what the votes that they missed or what? Well, what, I which think ones her, are her recount is just to recount to see if okay. there were missing votes and if there were missing votes or if there were, you know, for whatever reason, votes that weren't um, validated to see, you know, if that would have an impact on the election. Okay. Well, we're not going to be surprised by this um, piece of news. Oprah lands Michelle Obama's last White House interview. Oh. 
okay, from the exclusive sit-down will air on CBS and OWN Network. From Newsom, we read that media mogul Oprah Winfrey landed First Lady Michelle Obama's final White House interview, according to an announcement made by CBS and OWN Network on Monday, Political reports. First Lady Michelle Obama says farewell to the White House, an Oprah Winfrey special, will be filmed in the, fir- in the First Family's private residence and air on CBS December 19th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. OWN will re-air the special on December 21st at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Winfrey will serve as executive producer along with OWN Studio and Tara Montgomery, OWN's, OWN's creative executive vice president of programming, production, and development. Winfrey, a close friend and supporter of the Obamas, has interviewed the first couple on numerous occasions. This past June, Winfrey and the First Lady carried out a thorough discussion at the White House United State of Women's Summit. It's speculated that the interview will focus on Flota's eight-year impact and her future plans once the family leaves the White House on January 20th. The first couple made a commitment to work with underprivileged youth under the President Obama's initiative, My Brother's Keeper, and will also continue Michelle Obama's impassioned campaign to expand education for girls. Well, that should be a good interview. I'll look forward to seeing that. I'm sure it'll be uplifting. <laughs> well, or very, very sad. Uh, <laughs> the Root shares that President-elect Donald Trump has tapped Dr. Ben Carson, the former Republican presidential candidate, to be the next secretary of the Department of Housing and Urban Development. Trump's transition team announced that on Monday. I am thrilled to nominate Dr. Ben Carson as our next secretary of the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, Trump said in a statement to CNN. Ben Carson has a brilliant mind and is passionate about strengthening communities and families within those communities. Trump continued, we have talked at length about my urban renewal agenda and our message of economic (laughs) revival, very much including our inner cities. Ben shares my optimism about the future of our country and is part of ensuring that this is a presidency representing all Americans. He is a tough competitor and never gives up. If Carson is confirmed by the Senate, a formality for all selected cabinet members, he would be the first African-American to join Trump's cabinet. As the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, Carson would oversee federal public housing and help formulate policy on homelessness and housing discrimination, CNN reports. In November, shortly after it was announced that Trump had won the presidential election, Carson business manager Armstrong Williams said that Carson had no interest in or experience with regard to a cabinet position. However, on Wednesday, Carson posted an announcement on Facebook alluding to a change in his position. After serious discussions with the Trump transition team, I feel that I can make a significant contribution, particularly by making our inner cities great for everyone, Carson wrote. We have much work to do in strengthening every aspect of our nation and ensuring that both our physical infrastructure and our spiritual infrastructure is solid, he wrote. Um, I, I done with that. I, I mean, why, why can't they give him a position like this in that's like Surgeon General or something that's in like his his area of expertise? Even though he said that he did not want to have a position because he's not qualified one, but he still ran for president. I'm just li- a little confused about Ben Carson. Right? I think this several president. of us are a little confused <laughs> about Ben Carson because he, if he could run for president, but he doesn't feel that he's qualified to be a cabinet member i'm i'm totally confused but then they go they they give him hud okay so what does that have to do with being a doctor 
doctor. I, I, I am hopeful <laughs> and prayerful that there is some experience back there that we have yet to know about. And, and hopefully he will do great things. Okay, we'll, 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 we'll have an open mind about this new administration. Okay, mistrial and murder case against cop who fatally shot Walter Scott. A judge declared a mistrial Monday in the case against now former North Charleston, South Carolina police officer Michael Slagle, charged with fatally shooting an unarmed black man as the man ran away from him. According to ABC News, the jury was unable to come to a unanimous decision. But remember, guys, I just told you that an unarmed black man as he ran away from him, with many reports speculating that there was one lone juror who refused to convict Slager. Just takes that one. Video of the April 4th, 2015 killing of Walter Scott shows Scott running away from Slager after the officer pulled him over in a traffic stop. Scott was shot several times by Slager, and video appears to show Slager placing his taser near Scott's body. Imagine that. The video garnered national attention as it appeared to be the most brazen killing of an unarmed black man. Slager was fired from the police force and charged with the murder shortly after cell phone video, cell phone video of the shooting emerged. According to USA Today, Slager also awaited, is awaiting trial in federal court charged with violating Scott's rights, obstruction of justice, and a gun violation. The city of North Charleston agreed to pay $6.5 million settlement to the Scott family. You know, I don't know if you've noticed that, but now, you know, when the these policemen don't get convicted, everybody's starting to get a payoff. Mm. Have you noticed that? Mm. Uh, I, I'm not a fan of theirs, but theirs, it, this is unfair. Clearly, he hasn't been himself since the, his mother died. The black community is always making jokes about mental issues, hence the reason why our men don't seek help, wrote Instagram user Sean Nay Yay May. <laughs> okay. Not sure what that had to do I with this no Scott. I have no idea, but that's He's what okay. I have on here. So <laughs> I, I read as I see. I understand. <laughs> that's what we're doing. Reading the news to you folks. 50 years ago, a landmark education study changed how researchers and policymakers think about the challenge of educating disadvantaged students. Many are taking a second look at the decades-old report and reaffirming its conclusion, reports the Baltimore Sun. James Coleman, a Johns Hopkins University professor, led a team of researchers who produced an 800-page report in 1966 titled Equality of Educational Opportunity. The study, sponsored by the U.S. Department of Health, Education, and Welfare, has become known simply as the Coleman Report. Its major conclusion, which is relevant five decades later, is that the socioeconomic status of a child's family and peers is the primary predictor of academic achievement. It immediately caught the attention of policymakers. At the same time, it created complications. The Sun said President Lyndon Johnson hoped the solution would have centered on school funding. Instead, it focused on the more difficult task of ending poverty. Not long after, policymakers instituted race-based school busing initiatives, which turned out to be a disaster. The Coleman Report is still relevant, U.S. Census Bureau figures reveal that the national poverty level has climbed to 1960s levels. At the same time, the student achievement gap between black and white students has remained stubbornly wide, as U.S. News reported marking the anniversary of Coleman's study. Today, the report continues to influence policymaking. Earlier this year, 
President Barack Obama introduced his Stronger Together initiative, a competitive grant program that will enable school districts to attain a diverse mix of students from diverse economic backgrounds. Obama's budget included a $120 million line for the program. The funding would go to districts with large achievement gaps and challenges achieving socioeconomic integration. It would help them either to design a socioeconomic integration plan or implement an already designed strategy. I hope that money gets spent in some of the right places. But now with a new person coming in who has a different opinion about public schooling, so what's going to happen? Well, not sure. Hopefully uh, some of these things will stick around or the states can pick them up. So I don't know. We, we, will, we will have to see. Okay. That was a look at African-American headline news from around the world for this week. Tune in again next week for the latest news on and for the African-American community. We want you to know, we want to know what you think of current black issues. Send your comments to Bring It On at WFHB.org. For Bring It On, I'm Leela Randall. And I'm Beverly Callender Anderson. You're listening to Bring It On, Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community. Here on WFHB, 91.3 FM on your radio, and live on the web at WFHB.org. Support for WFHB comes from the Uptown Cafe, a Bloomington landmark since 1976. Serving Cajun Creole and home cooking specials every Tuesday and Wednesday evening, featuring a full bar serving fresh handcrafted cocktails. The Uptown Cafe is located in downtown Bloomington. More information is available online at the-uptown.com.
Another classic 70s, What You See is What You Get by the Dramatics. And it's time now to bring you the events of interest in the black community. For Bring It On, I am still Beverly Callender Anderson. And I'm Leela Randall. So first up, we have the Indiana Commission for Higher Education is now accepting applications for the next generation Hoosier Educator Scholarship at learnmoreindiana.org slash nextteacher. High-achieving Hoosier students interested in teaching must be nominated by a teacher or a school administrator and submit a student application by December 31st, so you don't have much time. The scholarship provides up to $7,500 each year of college for students who commit to teaching in Indiana for five years after earning their degrees. To qualify for the scholarship, students must either graduate in the highest 20% of their high school class or earn a score in the top 20th percentile on the SAT or ACT. To continue earning the scholarship in college, students must earn a 3.0 cumulative GPA and complete at least 30 credit hours per year. Current college students are also eligible for the scholarship, but priority will be given to high school students. To learn more, visit learnmoreindiana.org slash nextteacher. There you can find information and an application. The African American Dance Company's studio concert at Indiana University will be held Tuesday, December 6th, that's tomorrow, at Wilkie Auditorium at 7.30 p.m., and you can share a soulful holiday concert with IU's Soul Review at 7.30 p.m. on Thursday, December 8th. That will be held in the Neil Marshall Grand Hall. And there is very limited seating, so I think you have to get there early because there is no RSVP information. So December 6th for the African American Dance Company and December 8th for the IU Soul Review, both at 7.30. Celebrate the holidays with Freetown Village. Freetown Village celebrates Christmas, promised to inspire as it explores the significance of family and cultural traditions during this holiday season. Set in the 1870s in an African-American community, the play celebrates the richness richness of community, the spirit of giving, and the preservation of family traditions. Do they still have that at the museum? Yeah, I think so. Mm -hmm. This is a time when Christmas was not a holiday celebrated by many, and certainly 
was not the commercialized season we know today. When Sarah Elizabeth introduces a modern way to celebrate Christmas, the town is clearly divided. Audience members, as a part of the Christmas program committee, will have an active role in helping decide on how to support her plan. Join us with your family, friends, and coworkers for a memorable holiday experience. This will be Friday, December 9th, and the matinee is at 10 p.m. 10 a.m. and the performance is $7 and in the evening at 7 p.m. Um, the performance and cakewalk is $12 in advance and $15 at the door. Cakewalk is $10 for the evening show. And the location is at IUPUI Campus Center Theater. Sounds like that was going to be interesting. Ooh, I like the cakewalk part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you have an event or happening the African American community should know about, please send the information directly to the Bring It On staff. Or if you want additional information about a calendar item you've heard tonight, contact us at bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to thank Gary, radio producer and personality, Dinah Lynn Biggs, host of the syndicated Dinah Lynn Biggs Show, for joining us to share her memories of the late iconic radio personality, Mr. Herb Kent. And I also want to thank our producer, Clarence Boone, for allowing us to do this show today. Herb Kent was very special to me personally, and when I talked to him about the idea, he picked up on it. And I hope that you all do like Ms. Biggs said and go out and, and Google Herb Kent. You will learn a lot and, and you will be inspired. Our show's executive producer is Clarence Boone with help from WFHB News Department Director Joe Crawford. Our news editor is Michael Nowlin. Our board engineers are Jim Thrasher, Floyd Hobson, and Ann Jenkins. Our original theme music was created by Jamil Effium, with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm Beverly Callender Anderson. And I'm Leela Randall. Be sure to tune in next Monday, December 12th at 6 p.m. for another edition of Bring It On, right here on our community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.